Uh, we're at the end of Exodus. Uh, we've uh, worked our way through and we've got to the very last of it. Uh, and we're going to be looking at the very last couple of verses today to sort of draw it all together. So if you've got your Bibles, feel free to open them up to Exodus chapter 40. And we're going to be looking at uh, verses 34 to 38. It's only four verses. That's pretty quick, isn't it? I might be finished in five minutes. That'd be lovely, wouldn't it? Bad luck. It's not going to happen. Uh, Exodus uh, 40, verse 34 to 38. Ron and Joe Finance have just got back from their trip and they're sick, so Ron would have been reading this morning, but he's not here, so I'll do that for him. The glory of the Lord. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day and the fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of all Israelites during all their travels. tough work, wasn't it? <laughs> One and it's close, it's got to be two, wasn't it? Mission Impossible, uh, it's a great uh, series, isn't it? Great series of movies. Uh, the whole concept of could this possibly happen? Will he be able to get there? Is it impossible? Big question mark. Will he be able to, Ethan Hunt, get the Chimera? Will he be able to do what he's supposed to do? It looks like it's impossible, but does he do it? Uh, well, that's what we've been thinking about, haven't we, as we've been looking through the Exodus. Is it Mission Impossible? God's people had been in slavery for 400 years. Uh, they'd been knocked around, beaten. Pharaoh had destroyed them. They were in slavery. People were over the top of them. It was just a terrible situation. For 400 years, up to now 2 million Israelites were in slavery. But they had a promise. They had a promise from God who to Abraham said that I'll make you a great people. You'll be a great people. You'll be in my land and you'll be a blessing to all the world, how is God going to make this happen when we're in slavery? And they cried out to God, didn't they? And that's what Exodus is about. 
Is it mission impossible? Can God do this? Can God bring his people out from slavery? Exodus, God's mission is his people to bring them out and to save them. Can he do it? Will he do it? Does he do it? Well, he does, doesn't he? Uh, Exodus is that story of how God takes his people, he gets them out of slavery, he brings in his special agent, and it's not Ethan Hawke, but it's Moses. Moses comes in and God gives him a mission, and I don't think Moses had any choice to accept it or not, Uh, but his mission was to go and bring God's word and God's directions to God's people so that they could be saved, so that they would have salvation, so that would be brought out of slavery. And we saw that, didn't we? And we saw that that happened. And the story of Exodus shows us that God is unstoppable. Uh, it looked like they could have been stopped. Pharaoh had them. Uh, he had them under slavery. He, had, he was persecuting them. It, it looked like he had all the things against them. He had the upper hand. Uh, Moses comes in. He goes through nine plagues to try and get them out, but it still doesn't work. Tenth plague, they are released. But then Moses, sorry, Pharaoh comes after them again, doesn't he? And pursues them and they get beside the water. Are they going to be doomed? Are they going to be wiped out? No. God's plans can't be stopped. He opens up the water and they go through and they're saved. Well, they're saved from Pharaoh, but are they saved from themselves? The Israelites, well, they try all their best almost to not be saved, don't they? They get to the other side, they've seen these amazing things and then suddenly they decide that they're going to build a golden calf. I love that bit in the Bible as we're doing um, our study this week uh, where I think it's Aaron gives the excuse to Moses of how this golden calf turned up. He says, all the people gave us their God, we threw it into the fire and suddenly this golden calf appeared. Mate, that's the biggest flick pass ever, isn't it? It's almost like Adam, the woman told me to do it. Woohoo! He threw the gold in there and out came this calf, this golden calf. You idiot. No, that's not what happened, is it? You forged it, you put it together, you made it. Uh, At the best case scenario, the Israelites have made this golden calf as a symbol of God. At their worst case scenario, they've made this golden calf to replace God. Sad, isn't it? Very, very sad. So despite Pharaoh, despite sinful Israel, despite everything that you could possibly imagine, trying to stop God from getting his people to be his people in his place, he's not stopped, is he? God is unstoppable and his mission was to get his people, to gather his people, to be his people, to be a blessing to the nations. That was God's desire in Exodus. And that's where he's taking them and that's where he's moving them. And at the end of Exodus, we find out that it's all starting to come together. Maybe. God has gathered his people and they're about to enter into his place and they're about to be a blessing to the nations. God is unstoppable in his plans. So let's see what happens. Uh, If you look back, uh, we'll go back from that one. Uh, From chapter 25 through to chapter 40, it's a huge long section all about the tabernacle or God's tent, you could call it. Right through, apart from that little bit in the middle where the Israelites decide to 
find a calf, a golden calf, but the rest of it is all about making this impressive tent. Now, this is an impressive tent. This is uh, Brodie and Carolyn's tent. They went camping on the weekend, last weekend. This is a pretty impressive tent. This tent goes up in three minutes and sleeps ten people. Well, <laughs> 24. I was given 30 minutes, Les, and it only slept four of them. I'm not sure the ten was in there or the time frame. Uh, I think three minutes the first bit goes up, but the rest of it takes a lot longer than that. It's an impressive tent, quick, maybe fits a few people, uh, supposedly quick. Well, the tent that God makes is not quick, actually, uh, but it's impressive. Uh, it's huge, it's big, uh, but it is movable. Uh, the tent that God gets them to make is a tent that they are able to take and move because this is a tent that is to be the idea of the presence of God. This is a place where God will dwell or where God will show his dwelling place to his people. And uh, that's a bit of a picture of it. That's uh, supposedly lifelike. It doesn't look overly impressive from this side, uh, but on the inside there's a whole lot of gold. Uh, on the inside there's a whole lot of things that have been made to set up the inside, which is like a temple. Uh, this is a tent so far because it needs to be moved because God's people aren't in God's place yet. They're still campers at this point in time. When they build the temple, they'll be in the land. They'll be permanent. Uh, but that makes us think a little bit, doesn't it? If you think of the New Testament, what, uh, what's called the tent in the New Testament? We are. That's right. We're going to find out that there's a good link between that as well because we're in tents waiting for our perfect time as well. Uh, but inside this tent, uh, you'll see through chapters 25 through to 40, God tells them specifically how to make things and he may make a whole lot of stuff, a whole lot of gold stuff. Uh, and you'll notice that all this gold stuff that has, they've all got rods in them uh, so they can be picked up and they can be carried because they're portable. They're not uh, permanent yet. But all this gold stuff that they make are all very, very symbolic. Now, I'm not going to go into every bit of symbolism that's in there for you, but it's all symbolic of who God is and what God's going to do and the salvation that he's going to bring. And we're going to find out that all that symbolism ultimately points to one person. Uh, but you'll see there there's, uh, there's the Ark of the Covenant in the front, there's where they do the sacrifices, there's the candle, uh, over this there's a bowl, there's where the uh, other candles light and all that sort of stuff. All those things are symbolic of what God is going to do in the future and down the track. So it's pretty flash. It's pretty good. And it was made all from the generosity of the Israelites. Uh, to make this tent, everyone gave. And that's interesting, isn't it? Because they built a golden calf earlier and almost looked like they turned away. But now they've actually given generously to make this tent, to make this tabernacle as a place to signify God's presence with them. And so it's all done out of generosity and they're in anticipation. They are waiting to see this tent finished, completed and God's presence to come upon it. Uh, when my children were growing up, uh, they used to love the idea and were in anticipation when their grandparents were to come. Charlie Brown's looking out the window, uh, expectantly waiting, anticipating for something big to happen. My kids used to love the fact when they were, my grandparents, their grandparents were coming up from Tassie and we'd get to the airport and they'd stand at the window, faces glued, looking out, waiting for the parents to come in and when they came in, they'd love to see them then they'd be really anticipating the presents that they were going to get from their parents. 
My father owned a little corner store and used to bring these big packets of lollies. They were really exciting. There's that sense of anticipation, the kids wanting to see, waiting to see something's going to happen. Well, there's that sense here too. There's this anticipation of what God's going to do. What's this going to look like? What's going to happen now? And that's where we are at, at the end of Exodus chapter 40. This is the anticipation. This is what they've been waiting for. And this is what happens. Uh, Look at verses 34 to 38. And we'll see that God's presence is present. Uh, Verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of the meeting because the cloud that had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. It's hard for us to really gather what that would have looked like, wouldn't it? Uh, Here's a... I couldn't get an exact representation of it because no one can make the glory cloud happen these days. Uh, But this idea of this immense cloud coming down on top of the main tent of meeting where all those gold symbolic items were and so intense and so thick that no one could enter into it. Because this was to say that God is holy. You cannot enter into here. This is where God is and you're not going to come in because I am holy. It's so intense, so thick. Uh, I come from uh, Launceston in Tasmania, and those who know Launceston in Tasmania, it's in a valley. Uh, And in Tassie, we used to live in a little place called West Launceston, which was up on the hill. And uh, many mornings when we woke up in the winter, we were up above the fog, and you could look out, and it was a beautiful day, but down below, it was just fog. I remember mornings where I'd drive and I'd come out and I'd go down the street and I'd go down one level and into the next level and just black out. It's just fog everywhere. Tasmanians are laughing because they know what it's like. Fog everywhere. It was so thick you couldn't even see your second head. It was so thick. It was amazing. Now, only Tasmanians can say that, by the way. Just keep that in mind. You don't make jokes about it unless you're Tasmanian. It was so thick that basically you had to drive by bump. You just had to feel your way down the hill to make sure you could get there. It's thick and impressive. It's like you can't penetrate it. And that's the sense here. That you can't get in there. That you can't penetrate this because this is God's holy place. And we find out later that uh, Moses can enter in as a mediator for the people and the high priests can enter in, uh, the priests of the sacrifice, but they can only enter in on, on behalf of the people if they're completely purified. The only way they could enter is if you were purified. It was only if God said you could. Because God is a holy God. Uh, I was reading an article the other day on uh, this guy. You can tell me who this is. Steve Jobs, Jobs, that's him. Uh, Sadly, he's dead, but an amazing guy who uh, was one of the instigators, one of the uh, creators of Apple. Uh, And there's a whole lot of stuff coming out on him lately, uh, movies and so forth. And I was reading an article about a movie, and I have to find it on here, uh, a, a movie on him, and uh, it's talking about what this new movie is going to be like and how they portray him and how they put it all together. And right at the end, the very last little paragraph on it is, a, uh, is uh, what the director says of how he tried to portray Steve Jobs. Uh, and listen to what he said. Uh, he says, I have to write characters as if the character is making a case to God why he should be allowed into heaven. And if anyone could talk their way past God himself, it was Steve Jobs. That's interesting, I thought, isn't it? If anyone could talk their way past 
God, it is Steve Jobs. Nah, wrong answer. No one can speak their way past God, can they? Because no one is holy. See, that's the picture here. God is so holy that you cannot enter into his presence unless he brings you in. No one is going to be able to stand before God and think they can talk their way in. Oh, look, I've done this, I've done that. That doesn't work. The only way you enter into God's presence, into his kingdom, into his place for eternity, is if you stand there hand in hand with Jesus and he invites you in with him. You cannot do it. I've spoken to many people throughout time who've just said, yeah, when I get there, I'll be right, I'll talk to God then. And I just hope that when I get there, I'm going to be okay. That wrong answer. There's no hope, guys, if that's the case. He's holy, he's pure, he's just. You can't enter into his presence. That's just not how it works. You only enter into his presence through him who brings you in through Jesus. Because he's the holy one. He's the righteous. He's the perfect one. It's only as we hold his hand and go in with him. So God is holy. His presence is there. We can't enter into it unless you are perfect Uh, But it's very impersonal, isn't it? There's not a sense of personal relationship going on here at this point in time. God is set aside and set apart. Uh, Is that the way it's going to be forever? I'll hold that in your mind for a little bit later. So God's presence is present in the cloud, in the tent, but not only is he present in that way, but he also guides. Uh, Look at verse 36. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So that the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day and the fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of all the Israelites during all their travels. You see, God is present and God is guiding. God will take them and he will lead them. Uh, When he goes, they go. They are to follow him. He is the one that takes them and leads them and takes them to where they are supposed to be and what they are to do. You see, God's mission is coming, in a sense, it seems like to a fruition, doesn't it? He's got his people uh, and he's going to take them to his land and they're going to be a blessing to all the nations. And that's the picture at the end of Exodus, isn't it? We, We want to read on because we want to find out, does this happen? Is this going to work out? Does that go on to be the case? Well, if you have read on and if you have looked out, that they do go on into the promised land, but it's defiled, isn't it? It's not the ultimate one. They are led and they are guided, but it falls flat because the people fall flat, because the people don't follow God, because the people disobey him, because the people aren't holy and righteous people. They, they, they don't do it. And so God's mission is continues on and it's going to come to fruition and ultimately it does come to fruition in the one person who does follow God perfect, the one person who is righteous, the one person who is holy, the one person who comes personally to us in Jesus. I'm going to show you a clip. Now some of you have seen this clip before but many of you probably haven't. It's a great clip because what it does is it just shows us that God's mission and God's plan to gather his people, to be his people, to be a blessing for the nation is a plan that he had from the beginning and he's working it all out and throughout the whole Old Testament we realise that it's not going to happen until 
God steps in himself. That all the Old Testament is only taking us to Jesus because he's the true and better everything. So let's watch this. Bible is not a series of disconnected stories. It is a single narrative in which every story, every character points beyond itself to one who is greater. The story of Adam and Eve is not just about the first man and woman. There is a true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden and whose obedience is ascribed to us. There is a true and better Abel who, though innocently slain, has blood that cries out not for our condemnation, but for our acquittal. There is a true and better Abraham who answered the call of God to leave all the comfortable and familiar and go out into the void to create a new people of God. There is a true and better Isaac the son of laughter, of grace, who was not just offered up by his father on the mount, but was truly sacrificed for us all. There is a true and better Jacob, who wrestled and took the blow of justice we deserve, so we, like Jacob, only receive the wounds of grace that wake us up and discipline us. There is a true and better Joseph, who at the right hand of the king forgives those who betrayed and sold him and uses his new power to save them. There is a true and better Moses who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and who mediates a new covenant. There is a true and better rock of Moses who struck with the rod of God's justice now gives us water in the desert. There is a true and better Job, the truly innocent sufferer, who then intercedes for and saves his foolish friends. There is a true and better David, whose victory becomes his people's victory, though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves. There is a true and better Esther, who didn't just risk losing an earthly palace, but lost the ultimate heavenly one, who didn't just risk his life, but gave his life to save his people. There is a true and better Jonah who was cast out into the storm so that we could be brought in. There is a true and better Passover lamb, innocent, perfect, helpless, slain so the angel of death will pass over us. He's the true temple, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the true lamb, the true light, and the true bread. The Bible is not a series of disconnected stories. It is a single narrative that points to one person, Jesus. It's one story, one narrative that points to Jesus. And that's where the God's mission is, isn't it? That's where it's moving towards. That's what it's about. It's Jesus who brings that to fruition and Jesus who continues that today. It is through him. Uh, you see, when you get to the New Testament, you actually find out that the tabernacle is no longer a building, but the tabernacle becomes Jesus himself. The tabernacle is where God comes and dwells with his people. It is now with Jesus where God comes and dwells with his people. 
John 1.14 says this, And the word became flesh and dwelt, is the word, tabernacled amongst us. And we have seen his glory as of the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, Moses, it was an amazing story, but it was still disconnected, wasn't it? But the story of Jesus, it's personal, it's relational. Jesus connects with us. He comes and dwells among us. God pitches his tent with us in Jesus. He is the true sacrifice. He is the true priest. He is the true temple. It is all wrapped up in him. Uh, In Hebrews 10 verses 19 to 22 it says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood, as that is enter into the presence of God. Remember the cloud? We couldn't do it in the Old Testament. Now we can. Uh, in the temple there was a big curtain. It's been ripped in two. Now we can. By a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse from us a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. You see, when we stand in Jesus, when we put our trust in him, we can stand in the presence of God for eternity because we are made pure and holy in him. We don't need a mediator. We don't need to go through someone else anymore. We can stand there with him because of Jesus. Because he is the true and better one. Do you want to be in God's presence forever? Do you want to experience his personal relationship for eternity? Do you want to know what it is to be in his family and have that hope forever? Then put your trust in Jesus, guys. I can't say he will beg you to do that. If you haven't done it before, do it today. If you've done it before, recommit today. Because he is it, the true and better one. It's Jesus. You see, it's him and it's his mission. It's God's mission. God's mission now is to gather his people to be his people from people all around the world. They are to be people who are a blessing to all the people of the world by bringing Jesus to the rest of the world. You see, God's mission has gone not just to the nation of Israel anymore, it's to the whole world. It's not just to a group of people, one ethnic ethnicity, it's to every ethnic person throughout the whole of this world. It's for everyone, everywhere. That's God's mission today. And he's called you and I to be on that. Because you know what? We now are the presence of God in this world. Let me explain that for you. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? The temple was where God dwelt. God now dwells within us through his Spirit. The temple is where you met God. You now can meet God in us through his Spirit within us. We are actually to be the light for the world for people to see what God is like. Now that's scary, isn't it? I tell you what, I'm a pretty terrible example of that. I remember saying, don't, no. 
But the good news is we don't point them to just who we are, do we? We point them to the one that's in us, who is Jesus, his spirit within us. We point them to Jesus, but Jesus says that his spirit within us is to shine that light to people so we can point people to him. We are on a mission now to bring that good news of Jesus to people throughout the world and we've been empowered to do that because the spirit now lives within us. I've been thinking about that a bit lately. That is a phenomenal That concept is crazy, isn't it? God's spirit, when we put our trust in Jesus, God's spirit dwells within us. All the power of the spirit was within you and I. Now, we're fallen, we're broken, and that's not going to look perfect, but that power of the spirit is within us. To do what? To be on about God's mission. To change us, to become like Jesus, to point people to Jesus. Our mission now is exactly the same as it was back in Exodus. That story is our story, but we have the key factor to it. We have Jesus. Our mission now is to be God's people who are a blessing to all the people of the world by bringing Jesus to the world. In how we live, in how we speak, in who we are. That is our mission, God. That's what we're to be on about. That's what we've been talking about this year, haven't we? Sharing life, sharing Christ. That is God's mission for us. Is as we share our life with people, we share Jesus with people and we bring Jesus to people by sharing our life with people so that people come to know and see Jesus and put their trust in him so that God's kingdom grows. Do you know the only reason that this world is still here now is because everyone who's going to know Jesus hasn't got to know Jesus yet. That is the only reason we're still here, guys. Now, there's lots of other things to do while we're here in one sense, but that is the only reason God hasn't pulled this world to a close right now is because there are still people who need to know Jesus. And that might be the person that's next door to you. That might be your neighbour. That might be someone down the street. We don't know who that is, but that's what we're to be on about now. When we pray God's kingdom come, that's what we're praying. That all who are to know Jesus come to know Jesus. And God has sent us on that mission. And his mission is unstoppable, guys. You know, the good news is that mission isn't just determined upon you. God will achieve that mission, but God has graciously brought you into that mission. He wants you to be part of that mission. He can do it without you, by any means. But God has decided to use you. He wants you on his team to serve his team, to be on mission with him. Just a couple of questions for you as we finish up today. Uh, will we be desperate for God's presence or will we be depending on ourselves? Will we long to see God's glory or have we seen enough? Will we be faithful stewards or selfish consumers? Will we remain amazed that God has tabernacled amongst us in Jesus? Or will we go cold of that good news? Some good questions for us to contemplate this morning. Because God has called us into his mission. That's what he wants us to be on about, guys. He wants us to be his people. Well, blessing to the people he's placed around us. 
so that people see Jesus and come to know Jesus. And God's mission is unstoppable. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we've worked our way through your story, the story of Exodus, as we've seen you drawing your people to be your people, Lord, we've been amazed at your patience. We've been blown away by your power. But Lord, most importantly, we've been drawn to your mission. We've been drawn to your mission because your mission has been brought to fruition in Jesus and that you've brought us into that relationship with you through him and therefore onto your mission with you. We want to thank you for that. That's an amazing privilege that we have, Lord. A great responsibility, but yet we're not alone. You have brought your spirit and put it into our lives. You've brought each other together so that we're on mission together, Lord, on your mission together. Heavenly Father, we pray that we'll never grow tired of that. May your spirit encourage, enthuse, transform us, empower us, Lord, to get on with that mission, to be excited about that mission, Lord, and to be out there living our lives and sharing our lives with people so that we're able to share Christ with people. Because, Lord, no one's going to be able to talk their way around you. The only way to be with you in your place for eternity is when they put their hand in Jesus' hand. Lord, may that be our passion. May that be our desire. Lord, may we get on mission with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.